0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 through 38. 1 Kings chapter 18, we'll be in verses 30 through 38. And this morning we'll be in a subject matter that really goes hand in hand with the messages we preached the Sunday morning and Sunday evening prior to the marriage retreat. In, in light of that comment, I want to take the time just to say that the marriage retreat uh, was definitely filled by the Holy Spirit. I think all of those who went would say that that we definitely uh, grew closer together and, and helped our marriages, helped grow closer with one another, and that the Holy Spirit descended upon each and every time that we dug into God's Word to allow Him to move in our marriages. And I will share that I am firmly passionate that our marriages are such an important part of the overall church health, that we need to spend very much time cultivating our own marriages, respecting that they need constant prayer and attention and work in order to be what God has called them to be. Marriage is not easy. Marriage is not meant to be easy, but marriage can be cultivated and worked on. And if we refuse to do that, then we, we spit in the face of marriage and say, we're so good at it, we don't need to work on it anymore. And so that's why that, that it is such a passion of mine to do these marriage retreats and, and lessons on marriage and, and all of these things, because I am firmly in the belief that healthy marriages uh, help to breed healthy churches. And so we need to focus on that. Those of you uh, who are not married, my goodness, don't get married. I mean, uh, <laughs> I have sent a letter to Brother Dave Revelle uh, thanking him for preaching last Sunday morning. I hope you enjoyed Brother Dave. Uh, I've heard that he did a wonderful job. He is a wonderful man of God. And I praise God that he fills a gap that, that not many people are filling right now in that that's what he does is, is provide pulpit supply for pastors. Uh, He does not have a home church of his own anymore. He just does that, and I thank God for him. That being said, before the retreat, we we did a message on Sunday morning called, When the Spirit Comes. That evening, we did a a message called, After the Spirit Comes. And this morning, we will be in a message called, Before the Spirit Falls. Looking at at how it will look before the Spirit will descend upon this place. Before the Holy Spirit Uh, will usher in the fire of God in our lives and in our churches. Well, what are some things that are going to happen prior to that? Now, I am good enough with, with chronological order to understand that I probably should have preached before the fire falls, before I preached after the fire falls, but for some reason, God ordained that it would go in this path because I hadn't necessarily planned to preach before the fire falls. And so, Uh, The thing is, as I began to to put it together and God began to reveal to me what we were going to be looking at this week, it, it became obvious to me why we were looking at before the fire falls. Because if we're not careful, we get so caught up in the fire that we've already felt that we forget to do the things necessary to usher in the fire of God in our lives continuously. We get satisfied with our past victories or our past successes, and, 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 we, and we forget that there were things that we did prior to the Spirit of God falling in our lives. We start to pretend like the, the things that happen are, are A, B, and C are the results of the fire of God, but when we look back, we may realize that A, B, and C were the prerequisites for the following of the fire of God in our lives. and so we. Need to constantly look and pray and seek. God, would you send a fresh fire in my life? God, would you renew your Holy Spirit in my life? God, would you, would you give me a fresh taste of your abundant mercies and grace every single day of our lives. We can't get satisfied with having had a taste of the Spirit. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to tell stories about that one time the Holy Spirit descended on my life. I want to share stories about how the Spirit interceded on my behalf continuously and just ran all over my life. I don't want to tell people about that one time at Rocky Valley when people got saved and the Holy Spirit descended and you you couldn't cut the, the thickness with a knife. I want to tell people, when you come to Rocky Valley, the Holy Spirit is so thick in this place, you can't help but get saved if you don't know Him. And if you know Him and you ain't right, you can't help but want to get close to Him. That's the kind of church that I want to attend. And I don't know if that's the kind of church you want to attend or not, but if you don't want to attend that kind of church, I'm going to tell you to turn your ears off right now. Because for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be talking about what we need to do that we might attend that kind of church. What we need to do that our households may have. Have that kind of spirit inside of it. What are the things that have to happen in our lives that we might get a fresh spirit falling every single day? And again, if that's not what you want in your life, you just tune out. Some of you are going to anyway. Just join that guy that's asleep. If you didn't hear me say that, you're that guy in case you're wondering. 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 30 through 38. Let us all stand. 1 Kings 18, 30. Through thirty-eight, Let us all stand as we honor the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Beginning in verse 30 of 1 Kings chapter 18. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And so all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with the stones... He built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. He put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. He said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench. With water, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would do what only you could do this morning, Lord, and that is let your spirit loose in this place, Lord God. We thank you. We thank you for saving souls, Lord God. We thank you that we can still observe baptism, Lord God. We thank you that in a few minutes we're going to observe communion together, Lord God. We praise you. For what you've already done, Lord God. But we realize, we realize that your Holy Spirit dwelling among us is a precious gift. And God, we ask that you would do that for us now. Because God, I am keenly aware that no one here this morning needs to hear a message from Jason Moll. But everyone here this morning, including myself, need to hear a word from you, God. So I pray that that is exactly what you would do, is preach your word this morning, Lord. That anything I may say in error be mute. And God let your spirit fall. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And all God's children said. You may be seated. First thing we're going to have. If we're we're going to expect the spirit of God to to run in our lives. Is we're going to have to place a priority on the assembly. We're going to have to place a priority on the assembly. There's going to have to be a proper priority priority, you might say, on the assembly of the people of God. It's a silly little point, but if you you study your Bible, you'll see that occasionally God chooses to pour His Spirit out on inanimate objects, such as... When he poured his spirit out on the axe head and it began to float. When he made a bush burn continuously without ever burning up. Sometimes God will cause the Red Sea to part by pouring his spirit out upon an inanimate object. But more often than not, when you look at scripture and you look historically, you will find that when the power of God is poured out on people, and you'll see that when it's poured out on people, more often than not, sometimes somewhere you're going to find a faithful little group of people of God. Being gathered together, fearing God, honoring God, and asking God that he would give them a fresh taste of that spirit... They will be praying in unison that the fire of God may fall. You see that in Acts chapter 2. They gather in the upper room just prior to the day of Pentecost. You see it in Nehemiah chapter 8 at the water gate as the dispersed tribes of Israel come together and they pray that they would hear a word from God. You see it in Acts 12 as the church prays for Peter as he's in the jail cell. They pray for his safety and his release. You see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 in the days of Solomon when the people prayed that God would bless the new temple and that his glory would fall at the dedication service of the newly constructed temple. My friends, you will find that God's power will not properly fall unless the assembly of God's people is the priority. It will not happen in our lives unless we prioritize the assembly of the people of God. Elijah states that priority very simply in verse 30. Look at what he says. Come near to me. Very simply, Elijah says, the prophet says in front of the people, he says, Come near to me. You could say that that what he's essentially saying with that statement is stop what you were doing, turn, and come with me and do what we're about to do. We're fixing to worship God. Stop where you were going, stop what you were doing, and come near to me and let's worship God. It's really a simple request. You don't have to be an expert in theology to understand that what the prophet of God says is y'all come on and worship. Come near to me, we're fixing to see God do something amazing. Come on, right here with me, we're fixing to see something happen. Dr. James Dobson once published a statement that is quite profound. He said, do not prioritize your schedule, but schedule your priorities. Hang on, let me say that again. Do not prioritize your schedule, but schedule your priorities. You say, it sounds very similar, preacher, but there's quite a difference. You see, if you have a schedule as full as ours gets in this day and time, I'd like a show of hands. Who in here doesn't feel like they have a full schedule? Anybody doesn't feel like their schedule's full. Praise God for you. You should fill it up. Carter Mark's schedule hits not so full either. He wakes up whenever he wants to. But for the most part, our schedule's full. For the most part we've got more to do than we can get done if we're quite honest or we feel that way quite honestly we look at our schedule at the beginning of the day and if we're not careful we'll look at this list of things to do and we'll start to rank them in priority won't we i don't know if you do that but i do that my wife makes me do that because she said if i don't rank them in priority i won't get nothing done and she's right she knows me well but far too often when we go that way when we when we prioritize our schedules we get to the end of the day and we'll find that we didn't do a cotton picking thing that meant nothing eternally for the kingdom of God. God if we don't schedule our priorities what I'm saying is if you're not careful you'll look at your schedule and you'll have everything in there except for the things of God You'll have all the places you need to go. You'll have all the people you need to call but you won't have nothing in there about praying to the Savior and Lord that saved your soul. You'll have all the people you need to call, all the things you need to do, all the books you need to read but you won't have a thing in there about studying the word of God about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You'll have all the ball games you need to attend and all the shows you need on your DVR but you won't have a thing about coming to the midweek Bible study to draw nearer to God. Hang on, what did I say? I said coming to the midweek Bible study to come and pray Praise God. So it's going to be one of them messages. Yes, it's going to be one of them messages where we talk about things that are probably going to hurt our feelings, but it's because if we want the fire of God fresh in our lives, we're going to have to live a life that's separated from the world. The world says do what you want. God's word says do what I want. Hang on, what I say? I said the, the world says do whatever you want. The Word of God says do what I said in my book. And what God said in his book is we're going to have to prioritize the assembly before we see the fire of God fall. Notice Elijah said in verse 30, come near to me. In verse 38, what it say? The fire of the Lord fell. It didn't say in verse 29 that the fire of the Lord fell and the people in reaction started coming to church. Though sometimes we come after the fire falls. But it's because there were people there before the fire fell praying that it would fall. Hang on, let me say that again. Sometimes we come only after we hear about the fire falling, but I can tell you for sure that before it fell, there were already people there praying that it would happen. They were already there. You see, we got to schedule our time with the house of God. See, we can do so many things, and eternally they mean nothing. But i found if we take the time to, to schedule the Word of God and time with God and prayer with God, that it seems like all those other things, we seem to have more time to get them done. Anybody else had that experience in their lives? I didn't feel like I ain't got time. to get, I've, got more, I've got more things to do than can be done in a week on Monday. And, it, and, I, and I'll think to myself, you ain't got time to go over to that church and spend no time in prayer. And every single time that I forsake that prayer time, I don't get nothing done by Wednesday. But if I'll go on and pray, it seems to me that somehow or another by Thursday, everything's done. And I didn't think I was going to get it done by Saturday. Sometimes we just got to prioritize our time with God. Can I just tell you that that if we expect the falling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we've got to, to respond to that clear request, though. Elijah said... Come near to me, prioritize the assembly. But but along with that, there was also a response that took over. You know, our revival that we had was incredible. Amen? It was. I know I say a lot about it, but when God shows up in a mighty way, I'm going to keep talking about it. I don't want to forget how God shows up in a mighty way. And I heard some of you talking about it over the last six weeks. Boy, revival was sure good. But can I tell you something? When Brother Rick got in town that Saturday evening before revival, I checked his bag. And you know what he didn't have inside of it was revival? He had a Bible, but he didn't have revival. Brother Philip came and sang, and we had guest musicians come, and, and they did a wonderful job praising God. But you know, in that book of songs Brother Philip brought with him, he didn't have revival in there. The reason we had revival is because the people of God prayed before the revival and asked God to show up. The people of God prayed that he would anoint the men of God who came to help and lead our revival. The people of God got together, and you know what else we did? We assembled ourselves together. We came out and attended that revival. We came out and gave God our best of our time by taking time out of other things to come, and that's why we had revival. Now, thank God for men like Brother Rick and Brother Philip who fill those gaps and do those ministries, but I'm telling you, they ain't got a revival they can pack in their suitcase. They come and preach in a church where the people ain't prayed up, And all it'll be is just a bunch of words. Be good for a recording because you won't have to worry about hearing all the amens from the crowd. But I won't be somewhere where he's got to trash the recording because there's too many people in the crowd saying amen. Amen? Amen. There you go. You're still alive. Because you see, he made that clear request that the people would come near. And then he had a collective response from the people. I want you to notice what he said. He said to the people, come near. So a few of the people came near to him. Y'all better pay attention. We'll be here a long time. He said, come near to me. And those that didn't have anything else better to do came near to him. No, no, no. He said, come near to me. And they all responded to come and worship. How many times have you heard that? I'll come to church. I'll come to church, brother. But now Johnny's got a baseball game. Now the weatherman's calling for rain. And so if the weatherman's right and it rains, I'll be there. But if it don't rain, Johnny's playing second base. And I might go see that happen. Huh? How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'll be there, brother, but... Now, I got something else going on. And if that's going on, I'm going to have to take care of that first. And, and then, then we'll worry about church. But if that falls through, I'll be there to worship with you guys. Can I just tell you something that's probably going to sound kind of mean? Don't bother. Don't bother. What? Don't bother. Because you know what you just told God? You said you're at least second on my list of priorities. God, you're, you're at least second on my list of priorities. Say, oh, there you go being legalistic, Brother Jason. Am I? Imagine this with me, ladies. Tell me if I'm being legalistic. It's tomorrow afternoon. It's about 4.30. And you get a call from your husband who's getting off at 5 o'clock. And he says, honey, I am feeling extra romantic. I want you to get all your fancy clothes on. I'm going to pick up some flowers when I get off work. I am in the mood for romance. I'm taking somebody. Somebody. Out to a fancy dinner. I want you to put your best duds on, because after that dinner, we're going out for a, a fancy play down at the tea Pack. And when that's over, honey, I've got, I, I've got a gift certificate somebody gave me for dessert at the Cheesecake Factory. Honey, I am feeling romantic, and I'm going to need you to put all your clothes on and get ready. Because when I get off work, I'm going to stop by Sally Joe's house, you know, my girlfriend. But if she can't go, I'm going to come get you. Well, wait a minute, you mean you wouldn't want to feel second? You wouldn't get them clothes on and wait? Huh? How do you think God feels? When you say the assembly of your people, God, it ranks below every cotton-picking thing else I got going in my life. Silly little example, right? But Now, now let me, let me step over. I don't want you to hear what I didn't say. If you got the stomach bug, it would bless all us real well if you didn't come, all right? If you got, Sometimes there are things going on in your life where you genuinely can't come to the house of God. I have never shamed any of you that didn't come. I've never been one of those preachers. I'll never be one of those preachers who says, if you ever miss a service, you're going to hell, something's wrong with you. What I'm saying is the priority in your life ought to be the assembly of the people of God. That means it's more important to you that you go and assemble with the people of God than you do anything else. And if you have to miss, it's because you have to miss. It ain't because something else came up that you wanted to do more. Can I tell you that beyond just getting together, though, there were some other things that they did. Look, Look at verse 34. Elijah says to them, Fill the pitchers. And they did pour them out. Who poured them out? They. Uh, Folks, they didn't just come to worship. They came to work when they got to the house of God. If we're going to expect the fire of God to fall on us, then we're going to have to realize that we're going to have to put a little effort in at the house of the Lord. We're going to have to put a little effort in when it comes to the assembly of the people of God. Folks, we have a wonderfully clean facility. You know what? Even in spite of the fact that there's enough drywall dust going on in the education wing to choke your average human being, if you've got asthma, don't go back there. But this facility, with all the footprints coming in and out from the back, looks wonderful this morning. It didn't happen by chance. Somebody had to do the work to clean it. We're so proud to come and talk after the third Saturday of the month about the food boxes that we gave out in Hearts for Hunger and how we were able to share 45, 35, 40, however many boxes of food that we shared that month. We're tickled to death that we can come in and praise God that we were able to share that many boxes of food with people right here within a two-mile radius of this very facility that God has blessed us with. But did you know those boxes ain't never made their way from the downstairs to the, to the community? Somebody had to carry them. Somebody had to give them out. It takes a little work. We have an amazing children's ministry. We have Sunday school classes for every age. We have children's church on Sunday mornings. We have children's church on Sunday nights. We have Wednesday night classes for all of our kids. We have an amazing children's ministry. But you know them kids ain't never taught themselves. Bless God, I love Carter Moore with all my heart, soul, and mind. He ain't taught himself nothing. His daddy ain't never taught himself nothing either. So don't take that like I'm saying anything bad about him. What I'm saying is if we're going to have these things going on in our church, it's going to take people to do them. They don't do themselves. It don't just happen. The people came and they poured that water out because they understood that when they came and assembled, there might be a price that had to be paid for the ministry to go on. Elijah said, come near to me, the fire of God's about to fall go pour that water out. And they didn't even complain before they went and poured it out. They weren't Baptist, I know that. They didn't even whine before they went and poured it out. Some of you will catch that after lunch. Now I intended to do this week, but I'm just going to stop just a minute. And I'm going to do it right now. Just so that everybody knows, so that nobody can say I didn't know, is everybody listening? If you're listening, say amen. amen. If you ain't listening, say oh me. All right, I didn't hear it. So everybody's here, and there ain't nobody here this morning can tell me they didn't hear what I'm about to say. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to know what I'm saying. We need six people to step up and say, I'll work in the children's ministry. I need six people. You ain't got to stand up right now. I don't want to have one of them services. I want you to come to me personally and tell me, said Brother Jason, I'm able and I'm willing to be, to be used in the children's ministry. I'm not going to put the list out and tell you what place it is yet. You come and tell me you want to help in the children's ministry and we'll talk about the place where you fit. Because we have children's workers that work every service with these kids and don't never get to come to church but once a month. They don't ever get to come out here but once a month and hear the word of God. They don't get to go to a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night class because they're teaching both. That's not acceptable when you've got this many people in the house of God. I need six people. To say, I'll keep the nursery, I'll change a diaper, I'll teach a Sunday school class, I'll babysit a kid, I'll do something for the Lord. You don't think you're able, step up, I'll find you something you can do, I promise you that. If you've got a pulse, you're capable of helping. We can put somebody that's quite good at teaching with somebody that's not and teach you how to teach in no time. But we got children and we want to teach them and we want to love them and it takes bodies to do it. I need six people. And I don't want to have to beg and, and steal and borrow for it. There's no place for that in the house of God. When the people of God come together in the house of God, they ought to be ready to work for God. So I need six people. So I don't want did anybody not hear me. Anybody didn't hear what I said, say, oh, no. Anybody that heard me and realized you might need to step up, say, oh, me. Okay, hang on. You ain't got to do that yet. We're going to have to realize that the spirit of God is going to fall on us. It's going to take a little work when we assemble together. You know, I heard a story of a high school football coach whose team won a game on a Friday night. And that Friday night, the football coach, he gathered his team together. They weren't supposed to win that game. They were excited. They were playing a team that ain't been beat all year, and they ain't won a game all year, and they beat them. They were tore up excited. And they were out of school Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for parent-teacher conferences and teacher training. This was Friday night. And that football coach said, we're going to practice Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We've come too far to not put in the work to keep moving forward. He said, I'll make it easy as I can on you. We're going to practice Monday night, Tuesday morning, and then Wednesday night. That way you've got as much time between practices as possible to go on a trip with your family or something. But we're going to practice. We've come too far. And then he told him something profound. He said, if you miss one practice, you won't play next week said, you miss two, you don't come back except to bring your equipment. You ain't part of this team no more. And I thought to myself, we might want to put that in at the church. You missed two services. We're going to put you on double secret probation. You miss four services, don't you even come back. You ain't on the roll no more. Some of you laughed. You realized I was kidding. Go ahead. Lighten up. It's a joke. But you know, when the football coach said it, nobody laughed then either. He said, don't come back if you can't prioritize the assembly of the team. And all the parents agreed, because they just won a big ball game. They just had a victory. But somehow or another, in the house of God, when we have a victory, we decide we're going to scatter like fleas. Well, we want to wander off and not prioritize the assembly, and then ask God why he didn't pour his spirit out upon us. I don't know why God isn't moving in my life no more. I said, well, how often do you go to church? I go once a month. Well, Jason, I don't know why my world's falling apart. I said, well, I don't even know your name. I ain't seen you in seven months. When was your life clicking at its best? Oh, man, when I was on fire for God. <clears throat> Might try that again, Maybe. Now, please, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't be committed to your extracurricular activities. That is not what I'm saying at all. If you're playing for the ball team, you ought to be there every time the ball team practices. And you ought to be there every time the ball team plays. You ought to be part of that ball team if you're part of that ball team. And if you're able to play ball, go be part of a ball team. If you're able to play chess, go play on the chess team and be there every time they practice playing chess. If you are in the Lions Club, every time they meet, you ought to go roar. If you're in the the Rotary Club, you ought to go rotate every time they get together and rotate. The problem is not that you're committed to the extracurricular activities. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that we ought not find it easy to get committed to the extracurricular activities and find it difficult to get committed to the one thing that eternally amounts to a hill of beans in this world, and that's the assembly of the people of God. There must be a priority of the assembly. we got to commit to be here and worship and work. There also has to be a preparation of the altar. Look at verse 30 with me again. He said, Come near to me. So the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. That was broken down. Everybody say that with me again. That was broken down. Okay, now the other 25 of you say it again. That was broken down. I want to make sure we got the altar of the Lord was broken down. They had, some, they had some work they had to do repairing the altar. Now there are a couple of theories on how that altar got torn down. Some scholars say that Ahab and Jezebel had torn them down and and they had certainly torn down plenty of, of altars in their path. They had certainly done plenty of things. It's certainly possible that they did that. Some in that day and some in our day would say that the altar is torn down because there was a wicked government in place and that's why the altar of God had been destroyed. People would still say that today, that the altars of God have been destroyed because we have a wicked government. Now I want you to listen here. I am definitely not a preacher that will say, go stick your head in the sand and pretend that what's going on in the world ain't going on. I am not a preacher that will stand here and tell you we ought not be involved politically in what's going on. We ought not be educated in what our leaders are doing. We ought not know what's going on and how it affects our religious community and our spiritual community. But what I am here to tell you is that while you're involved, I want you to realize that if you believe that the altars of our churches and the altars of God are going to be rebuilt by the hand of the government. I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. I'd like to strike up a deal with you this evening. The government may have had a part in tearing down the altars, but they have not been called in any way to rebuild them. If your hope for revival in America is in the hands of the government, wake up. It ain't going to happen. I don't care who gets voted in. We can make America great again and in eight years from now we can have somebody else say we're going to fix what he didn't do. I don't care. But if the altars of God are going to be rebuilt it ain't going to matter who's in the White House. It's going to matter what the people in God's house are doing. That's how the altars of God get rebuilt. I want you to notice. I want you to notice. He didn't call them together to create a Facebook campaign. He didn't call everybody together and say hey I want y'all to I want y'all to get together and sign a petition against the government. I'm as sick as any of you in what our government does sometimes, but can I just tell you something? Elijah said, y'all come here. The government's wicked. We've got some work to do as the people of God. It ain't their place. They're not the people of God. We are. It's our place to rebuild these altars. He said, we want the altars of God to be rebuilt. I need the people of God to come here, and we're going to besiege heaven with our prayers. We're going to ask the God of all creation to heal our land, because he said he'd do so in the book of Chronicles. He said he'd heal our land if we would humble ourselves and pray. The altars of God may have been torn down by a wicked government, maybe. But they won't be rebuilt by that same government, and they're not supposed to be. That's our responsibility. we got some work to do at the altar of God. He understood that that the government may have been it. Another theory was that God himself had torn the altars because of the idol worship that was going on in the people of Israel. Can I just tell you that I don't care why the altars of God were torn down. However they were torn down, whichever method they were torn down in your life, it really doesn't matter. What What matters is that that is a result of a problem in your life and not the problem. If your altar has been torn down and you're not able to go to the throne of the Lord anymore, there's some work that's got to be done at your altar of God. You're going to ask the fire of God to fall in your life. You've got to fix the things that are broken inside of your life. You've got to fix the things that allow you to come to the altar of God and say, On this place, on this place I make my stand with God. And I'm going to fix this altar with my prayer. I'm going to fix this altar with my commitment. I'm going to fix this altar by prioritizing the things in my life that matter. And I'm going to quit running around waiting on somebody else to fix my altar. I'm going to quit reading a 12-step book with 13 steps for help. I'm going to go to the one source that can fix my altar. And I'm going to beg him to fix my altar. And I ain't going to get up until my altar's repaired. And that's what it's going to take if we're going to find the fire of God in our lives. Those words, torn down, that that the altar had been torn down. It gives a suggestion in the Hebrew language that it was not done by accident. Regardless who did it, somebody told, whether it was God or the government or whatever, the altars had been torn down on purpose. Can I just tell you something? When it takes work to tear the altar down, it's not going to fix itself accidentally. Some of us are going to have to sacrifice a few things at that altar. You ever heard that phrase, you get what you pay for? I'd argue that point and say sometimes you get ripped off. You don't always get what you pay for. But I will say that most often in my life i found you do pay for what you get. I want to make sure you got what I'm saying. You do pay for what you get. You want the fire of God to fall in your lives. There's a price that you're going to have to pay at the altar of God. We're going to have to sacrifice some things. And one of those things it may cost us to see God move is our pride. We might have to lay our pride aside. We may have to ask forgiveness of sins in our lives that we've been holding on to. We may have to lay down some bitterness that we've been carrying. I I want you to notice what it says in verse 31. It says, Elijah took how many stones? Twelve Twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob. He took twelve stones, and I'm going to give you a history lesson. In this time, there was a divided kingdom in Israel. What I'm saying is there were the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah going on right now. But I want you to notice what Elijah did. He said, if we're going to besiege heaven and we're going to change this land, I'm going to need everybody to get on the same page. I'm going to need all... I know we're a divided kingdom, but we're all the nation of Israel. We're going to have to get together and get on the same page. If you're going to see the hand of God move on us, we got to get together in unison for God. Can I just say to you what that means to us today? Now I don't believe that corporately here at Rocky Valley Baptist Church we have a discord that needs to be dealt with but I'm also keenly aware that in a room of people with this many people in it that we do have husbands and wives that need to get together. I'm fully aware that in one corner of this sanctuary is somebody who's at odds with somebody in their family that ain't here. I'm keenly aware in some other part of this sanctuary is somebody who needs to go to somebody else inside this sanctuary before they taste of the Lord's table and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You say, brother, I don't even know what I did to them. I don't care what you did to them. If you've got a problem with them, you need to go and find out what you did to them because if it's got you splintered in your worship, you need to go. You're quarreling and you're hanging on to your pride may very well be what hinders the hand of God in your life. Say, oh, it's just one of them messages, Brother Jason. You're just trying to to stir somebody to do something. No, I'm trying to tell you, do what the Word of God said do. If you want the fire of God in your life, you want to know why the power of God ain't in your life, you want to know why the Spirit of God ain't falling in your life, it could be because you're hanging on to your grudge tighter than you're hanging on to the Word. You're hanging on to what you want to hang on to tighter than you want to hang on to what matters. And until you let it go, you can't have the Spirit of God in your life the way you used to. You can read the Bible, but it won't make no sense. You can pray, but it'll be dry until you let go of that thing that's holding you back. It may cost some of us our pride, but it may cost some of us our possessions. (laughs) Elijah tells them to bring the food, and I'm almost done. He tells them to bring the food. And the water. Now you say, what's that matter, Brother Jason? They did a lot of sacrificing in the day. Can I just tell you that in this particular day, they were in a famine and a drought. Hang on, somebody catch on. They didn't have food or water readily available. And he said, go get me some food and water and bring it. We're going to have a sacrifice. It's going to cost you some things that you got. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to have to bring an ox in the front door and, and gallons of water out of the baptistry in order to have the fire of God fall on this place. But I can promise you if that's what it takes, that's what we'll do. Miss Cindy, you'll just have to clean hard when we do that. I'm not saying it's going to take an ox or, or any of that, but what I am saying is it's what God's going to require is that we bring our best to the house of God we got to bring him our best. You don't believe God's going to require our breast. You, you ask Abraham when you get there what it felt like raising that knife over Isaac. Look what he says about the water on the sacrifice, too, because it's going to cost us our possessions. But he tells them, what pour it out. And then he says, pour it again. And he says, uh, pour it again. He says, keep on doing that same thing over and over and over again. You keep doing it persistently asking God that his fire would fall in your life. That means if the fire don't fall the first time you ask, you don't say there's something wrong with the fire. If the fire don't fall the second time you ask, you say, God must not hear me. That means you've got to keep on saying, God, please send your fire in my life. I'm laying aside my pride. I'm laying aside my possessions. I'm clinging only to you. God, please send me the fire. Because sometimes it's going to cost us. Our pride, our possessions, and our persistency if we're going to see the fire of God in our lives. And finally, as we close this morning, real quick. We're going to have to have a purposeful adoration. We're going to have to be in adoration of the one whom we're supposed to be adoring. Because you see, when it comes to our sacrifices, I have noticed that the willingness to pay a high price directly relates to the object and the occasion of the sacrifice. Who is it? What is it for? What do you mean, Brother Jason? Listen to me here. $1,000 may be a very high price for you to pay for your daughter a dress to wear to a tea party when she's five years old. $1,000 would be steep to pay for that dress for your daughter to wear to that tea party. But $1,000 for your daughter to wear a dress on her wedding day might not seem that steep to you. Who's it for? And what's it for? Same daughter. What it was for was a tea party or a wedding. It made a difference on the price you were willing to pay. I tell you this. I don't know about you, but I plan to sacrifice my time, my energy, my talent, my treasure, my everything in these days. To see the fire of God fall because it is for the king of kings. It's for the Lord of lords. I'm willing to give all I got. I'm willing to give everything inside of me and things I didn't realize I had for the fire of God to fall in my life. Elijah's calling them to sacrifice, and it's in response to a question he had asked earlier. How long you halt between two masters? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Now, I doubt anybody here used the word halt this week in conversation. We just don't speak that way anymore. So I'm going to speak in Brother Jason translation. Elijah essentially said, get in or get in or get out. Serve God or don't. Can I just say this? If God is not worth serving with all you have, if God is not worth coming to worship fully, with everything you have. If God is not worth giving yourself completely in obedience to him, then he is not worth coming at all. Serve God with everything. Or don't. That's harsh, Brother Jason. No. No, it's not. God will never be worth something to you. God will never be worth something to you. I want you to hear this as we close. He's either going to be worth everything or he'll be worth nothing to you. He's not an in-between God. He's either worth your all or he's not worth any of your time. This morning I ask you this question. What is it you need to sacrifice to God this morning? Maybe it's that you haven't been committing to prioritizing the things of God in your lives. I understand. I promise I understand that we're busy people we got to schedule our priorities, and that has to be time with God. Maybe you haven't been making the assembly of the people of God a priority in your life. You've been coming to church when you didn't have anything else to do. You've been coming to church when Brother Jason came by and visited you that week. Would you make the assembly with the people a priority in your life? Will you commit this morning to rebuild the altars that are torn down? Husband, you need to rebuild an altar with your wife Child, you need to rebuild an altar with your parents. You've been living in rebellion. Church member, you need to rebuild an altar with another church member. Somebody needs to repair an altar to God. Would you come this morning and repair that? Rebuild it this morning. And maybe you just need to come and say, I'm going to commit to giving God all I've got. I've been holding something back. I haven't been giving Him everything I've got and everything inside of me, and I want to serve Him with gladness and joy in my heart. Would you come this morning... And lay that at his altar. Come to his altar and say, God, I'm yours. And I promise you, before you get back to your seat, he'll be ready to use you. God, I'm yours. Just use me and he'll find a place to put you. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you need to commit to this assembly here locally. Say, I want to join Rocky Valley Baptist Church. I've been on the fence for some time, but I want to step in and make that commitment. I want to see the fire of God fall here and I want to be a part of that. I want to fully commit to this church. Would you come this morning and do that? But as we get ready to pray, maybe you're here. And you've never walked down the aisle, you've never come to the preacher, and you've never said, I want to get saved. I've got sin in my life, I'm separated from God. You've preached about the fire of God, and I don't even know what you're talking about, Brother Jason. But I know that every time you talk about getting saved, I get a feeling in the pit of my stomach. I've been wondering what it means to get saved. i got some questions. And I just want to ask you some questions about what it means to get saved, Brother Jason. Would you come this morning and let's talk about exactly what it means to get saved. Let's talk about exactly what it means to to follow Jesus with all you have. Let's pray. Father God, God, I thank you so much. I thank you for the fire of God. God, I thank you that we can experience the fire of God in our lives if we will just humble ourselves and do the things that your word commands us to do. God, I pray that here in this service, there are those who need to commit to you, ready to commit to you at your altar this morning. Ready to lay it down at your altar this morning. God, I pray that there's reconciliation that somebody wishes to sit down right now and say at this altar I will rebuild god with you i can't build it on my own god i've tried so many times but god i know you can somebody here says i know i i could teach that class i've just been scared to commit would you would you impress upon them the need to commit to serving you, God. God, somebody here doesn't know you. Somebody here's never been saved. And would you just touch their heart as none of my words can, but only as you can, Lord God. Convict them to come and be brave and bold enough to ask the questions about what it means to be saved. God, you be glorified in the remainder of our time. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus.